Um, we're going to invite Daniel to come and speak while he's there. I was worried he'd run away. Shall I pray for you? Oh, Lord, we just lift Daniel up to you and pray that you would uh, anoint every word that comes from his mouth and open our hearts to receive everything that he has for us this morning. Amen. I hope you, uh, you join me this morning just turning in your Bibles to John chapter 4. And we're continuing just looking at the subject of worship. And just understanding what God wants to speak to us as a church. Is it on? Just move it higher. Yeah. Is that better? Down. You control me, Drew. <laughs> and uh, the thing that I wanted to think about this morning is obstacles to worship. And so, but first, I just want to go through this story that's in John chapter 4. And it's quite a familiar story. But hopefully that just with the word of God, even when there's something familiar, God can still unravel things and open things that we've never thought of before. So I just pray that God will do that for you today. I won't read it because it's quite long, but I just wanted to kind of give you an outline of this story. And, and it's a story of where Jesus has been out on mission, out ministering, and now they're moving into this area in, called Samaria, an area called Samaria. And, um, and the disciples have gone off to get some lunch. He's sent them off into a local town. And Jesus is just by the well. And this is Jacob's well. And so he's there having a rest. And then a lady comes around midday. And she comes to draw water. And Jesus says to her, will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? And the woman's surprised because Jews shouldn't mix with Samaritans. And a man shouldn't really mix with a woman in this way. Um, but then Jesus, in the way only Jesus can do, he drops what I call a truth bomb on her and says, we're talking about water, but actually I'm the living water. And he says that he can give that to her. And obviously, if someone says to you, do you want living water? Do you want water that's never going to make you thirst again? Uh, just like probably most of us, she says, sure, that sounds like a good idea to me. I'll have some of that. And then he drops a second truth bomb on her and he says, you know what, I know that you've got five husbands. And probably she wasn't quite ready for that. But then she takes this moment and she sidetracks onto something else and she starts talking about the temple. But then Jesus tells her what true worship is about. And the thing he tells her, it's about me. And so that's the story we've got and I'm going to go through it in a bit more detail and just unravel it, but I wanted to kind of give you the outline of the story first of all. And so there's a series of questions I want to ask of you this morning. And so the first question is, are you thirsty? And these should appear on the screen as if by magic. Are you thirsty? They're not magic, it's Dave. Um, are you thirsty? And it's very interesting that Jesus comes to the well and he is thirsty. Now, I can't get over the fact that immediately I want to sidetrack just onto a little point. That thousands of years earlier, Jacob built this well. 
And you wonder, did he ever imagine that one day God would be resting on his well, wanting a drink? And it just made me think, and this is probably nothing to do with my sermon, but I thought it was such a wonderful point I wanted to share it. That do you realise that the thing you might do today that you think is just a well might be inconsequential, but one day God is going to use it for something quite marvellous and mighty? You may never realise it, but God's going to use it. And so Jesus is there and he's thirsty, and we don't often think of God as the one who's in need, but in this moment Jesus is thirsty. And thirst is a strange thing because thirst makes you quite desperate. If you've ever been really thirsty and you see just a glass of ice cold water, you might really want it. And I, was, uh, I got the a blessing of going to the Rend Collective con- uh, what was it? concert, worship event, church service, I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, it was a concert and, and there was a guy, I don't know if other people, I know other people went there as well, and there was a guy who was at the front handing out water to people in the crowd. And because it was quite hot, and I thought, there's a job, handing out water to the thirsty. And I bet in that moment when they've been jumping up and down, singing along, and they're sweating a lot, and somebody hands them a glass of water, they're probably like, wow, that's brilliant. Particularly because the prices at the bar were very high. Um, And this was free, which was even better. And when we're thirsty, we want things. We want something to quench that thirst. And the question I I was wondering is, is where are you this morning? Where are you satisfying your thirst? Because we all have a thirst. We all have a need. Water is the main thing in life we need. Where are you satisfying your thirst? Because Jesus is talking about thirst here. And it's interesting when Jesus does this thing where he talks about physical things and he quickly moves them on to spiritual things as he talks about, you know, if you drink of this well, if you drink of this water, you will thirst again. And the truth is there are many things in life that we can try and fill our lives with. There are many things that we can try and quench our thirst with. And Jesus comes with this truth that if you drink of these things, you will thirst again. And maybe that's your experience this morning. That there's things in your life you're like, I drink of this and I drink of that. And the truth is, there are things that can quench our thirst. Someone said, I was really thirsty, so I, I had some Coke. You know what? It will make you thirst again. There are particular drinks that will make you thirst again. Even though they might quench your thirst in that moment, they will make you thirst again. And so where do you go when you want to be satisfied. And the truth is, we go to the thing that we think will be the answer. We go to the thing that we think, maybe this will quench my thirst. Maybe this time it will satisfy me. And do you ever realise you have kind of some really corrupt thinking in your mind? You think, maybe this time it will work. And then afterwards you're like, no, it didn't work. And the next day, you're like, maybe this time it will work. And you're like, no, it didn't work. And we can get into this really stupid pattern of living and think, maybe this time. And it still didn't work. Jesus is saying, if you go after these things, you will thirst again. And I was thinking that drinking is quite like worship. 
and maybe I'm trying not to be too tenuous, but I think this is what Jesus is talking about, that drinking is like worship. And I think this morning that Jesus wants to open our eyes to something deeper of himself. You know, just before this event happened, in, if we go back a chapter into John juice to make it work. There you go, thank you. It was thirsty for for energy. Yeah, so he says in John 3.12, he said, if I told you earthly things you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Do you realise there are earthly principles at work in our lives? There, There are practical principles at work. And these are true and these are good. But actually, when the kingdom of God comes, there are heavenly truths, there are heavenly principles that Jesus is saying, I want to reveal these to you. But you can't even get the practical ones, the physical things, the earthly things right first. How are you ever going to understand the spiritual, the heavenly? But we're going to give it a go this morning, hopefully, and understand maybe something of God that he's wanting to unlock a truth to us about how these things work. Because we think in a certain way and we say that we think, I've got a need and therefore give something to me that can satisfy my need. So if I'm thirsty, I say, give me some water so I can satisfy my thirst. And that's very natural. That's a practical way of thinking. And that's how we often operate. Can you turn with me to 1 Kings? So in the Old Testament, and there was a story, and when we think about thirst, it's a very apt time in this story because there was a drought at the time. This is 1 Kings chapter 17. And there's a prophet of the Lord called Elijah. And he's, he's been a, a, by a brook and being fed by ravens, which is probably gross. Um, but after the brook has dried up, he goes to this other place called Zarephath where he comes and meets a widow. And the Lord says, I've prepared a widow for you who will feed you. And so in verse 10, it says, He rose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I might drink. And she was going to bring it. And he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm going to gather a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. I don't know if you've ever felt so desperate like this woman must have felt in this moment. That all you're doing is going around gathering a few sticks. She didn't even have firewood. She had to go and gather some sticks that she can go and take the last of this oil, the last of this flour, share it between her son and herself and die. What a desperate situation she must have felt. 
and yet there's this man of God saying, can I have something to eat? Now, I don't know what you would have thought if you're on your last legs, got your last bit, and someone says, can I have that? You say, on your bike, no chance. This is for me, and we, this is all we've got. This is all we've got. And Elijah said to her in verse 13, says, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards make something for yourself and your son. This seems a bit rude to me. If you don't understand the spiritual principles that's happening here, it seems a bit rude. He's saying, go, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but look after me first. Go and make something for me first, then take care of yourself. He says, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The flour was, jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, because to, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. There's a spiritual principle at work. And this principle is that first we give. Because often you might feel, what have I got? I haven't got anything. What can I do? But he's saying, first will you give, and then you will receive. Elsewhere he says, give and it shall be given to you. Now we have this mindset, a natural mindset says, I have need, so give to me. I have need, give to me. But Jesus is saying, and he's beginning to open up this, this thought, that are you willing to give of your very last thing? Having faith that when you give, you will receive from him. So the woman came with need. She came for water herself to this well. But here was Jesus saying, first, will you give me a drink? And this is the thing. We, we heard the call of God last week when John spoke, and, and this invitation into the presence of God. And Jesus is making this invitation to us. Say, come, I'm calling you, and this is the way, but will you follow it? And the next question I want to ask you is, are you excused? Because immediately when Jesus starts talking to this woman, she starts coming up with all these different reasons of why she can't do the thing that Jesus has asked of her. And so, in verse 9, it says, The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? a woman of Samaria. And even then she goes on in verse 11, he says, so you've got nothing to drink water with and the well is very deep. She's looking at herself and she's looking at her situation and she starts to make excuses for why she cannot do the thing that Jesus is asking of her. And I wonder if this morning you might be saying, when God says, come to me, come into my presence, I want you to Come. Boldly, we're saying, boldly I approach, oh, and we're saying, well, wait a minute, God, do you know who I am? And I imagine this woman had in her mind, I don't think this guy really knows who I am. 
First of all, I'm a Samaritan. We don't mix. We don't do this. And the other thing is, later on we find out, as I said, she's got five husbands. I don't know if she was going through them, you know, if she was like the town harlot or anything like that, or if she was the unlucky guy that the Sadducees said about the, the woman who married a man who died, and then they, she married his brother and he died, and the third brother died, and the fourth brother, and the fifth brother, and they all died. You don't want to be the sixth brother in that story. Um, I don't know what her situation was, but her situation was not nice and clean cut. And she I had in her mind, do you know who I am? And do you know that shame will stop you entering in to the presence of God. Because shame says you can't come in, you're excluded. And you're saying, God, do you know my history? Do you know what I did? And even like now, you might be thinking, God, do you know what I did last night? Do you know what I did this morning? He's like, funnily enough, yeah, I do know. I do know what you did. He knows you. He knew this woman and yet he's still calling her. She's saying, you can't use me. And he's saying, I know everything about you, and I'm still asking something of you. I was asking um, our ministry team for a couple of words of knowledge, because I want you to know this morning that God knows you. You might think that you're distant from God, and I've just got a couple of words that I want to share with you, and they don't mean anything to me, but God knows you. This morning we feel that, that someone here feels the need to do things, and that Satan is using this to steal your trust in Christ. That God wants to make you aware of Satan's devices and bring you into a light of how Satan is trying to deceive you. So just to remind you that God is, there's someone who feels that they have to do stuff, they have to do things for God, but Satan's using this to steal away that relationship and that trust. Also, there's someone this morning that's making a decision that has a major financial impact, and God is warning you not to go ahead with that, because it will lead you into a, a dead end, a hole, but to pause, because another option is going to appear. So someone who's going to make a, a big financial decision and God is saying, just pause. That another option is going to appear. I don't know if that speak, those two words speak to anyone. But so often I've heard it said that people can be in the presence of God and someone can share something and they say, how does that person know so much about me? And the truth is, they didn't know. I used to think when I first came to church that all the big wigs, all the elders used to get together and kind of work it all out together. Because like, you could do that. You could say, I've got a friend coming and they've got this problem. So if you give that word, then they'll think it's that. But you know, God knows you when no one else knows you. It's not a big conspiracy theory. And no one had told Jesus about this woman. You know, Jesus, there's a woman who comes to this well at midday. Or maybe someone did. Maybe it was the father who told him. God knows you. 
And so don't excuse yourself because of what you think about yourself, how you perceive yourself. God cannot use me. Because worship is not for the professionals. You know what, God, this woman could have said, Jesus, I really think you should wait for a Jew to come along. I really think it should be a man. And look, even your disciples over there, these are the guys who should be doing this kind of thing. It's not for me. But Jesus said, no, I know who you are and I want you. And that's his call for us today. You could say, what do I have? Because this woman, she was looking at Jesus saying, how are you going to draw the water? You haven't even got a cup. You haven't got a bucket. What are you going to do? Not realising that she was the one who had what he wanted. And do you realise that he has given you something that he wants? Even down to the fact that for that woman, the bucket she carried was the thing that he had created, that he had made provision for to be used for him. Jacob's well, those thousand years ago, was something that God created to be used by him. And you might be thinking, what have I got that is worth anything to God? I don't have these prayers. I don't have beautiful voice to sing out and sing something to God. I don't know even the words to these songs that these people are singing. My prayers, when I say them, they come out like a big jumble and I just say all the wrong things and probably speak out heresy that's going to get me kicked out because I'm going to get it all wrong. It doesn't matter. Because God is looking at the, the small thing that you have. And you might think, I haven't got much. I've just got a cry in my heart that might shout out, Jesus. And if that's all you've got, then I encourage you, give it. Because that is powerful. Do you realise one word can be more powerful than a thousand? The small thing you have is invaluable to God. Do you also realise that when Jesus asks you for something, that it is a gift for you? Because you could be thinking, you know, Jesus, draw your own water. You could be thinking, Jesus, why do you want worship? Well, it's a bit selfish, isn't it? But do you realise that for you to worship God is a gift for you? That there's no better thing for you than for you to worship God? Because you realise that when you come into that place and you give that thing you have, you receive everything that he has for you. And it's a really hard one. I I do struggle with this because I want to come with pure motive to God. I want to come and say, God, it's about you. I want to give this to you. And sometimes in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, because I'll get everything back. And it's a hard, because I'm like, keep it pure, keep it pure. And sometimes I'm thinking, but... Is it just because I want these other things? And it's hard to, di- to dissect the two because they're so intertwined. And don't worry always about, have I got absolutely pure motives in this moment? But just come and give yourself to him. And he'll deal with your motives. I'll ask you another question. Do you know who he is? Do you know who he is. Because this woman was there and she's probably just come, you know, doing a daily routine. She's come to draw some water and there's this guy who's probably looking really tired 
and is like, give me some water, please. And she's thinking, who's this guy? Who is he? Like, what's he got to do with me? And Jesus says these really fascinating words in verse 10. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Do we know who he is? Because the trouble is you can be faced with God right in front of you. Do you realize that? That you can be faced with him right in front of you and you miss it. Do you remember the story of the two guys after the resurrection who are walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus is walking with them and they're, they're like, do you, like, he's like, where are you going? Like, what's happened? And they start telling him all about Jesus. And they're like, don't you know what's happened? He's like, no, I don't know. He's like, oh, tell me all about it. And they're telling him about him and they don't realise that it's him that they're talking to. They don't realise that it's Jesus right with them in that moment and they're like, Jesus, it's Jesus. Or they weren't saying Jesus. Guy, this guy. It's all terrible. Our, our saviour's disappeared. And he's like, oh, really? He's like, oh, yeah, we're without, without hope and he's dead. Oh, really? Do you not realise who is right there with you? And this is a problem. We can be going through many different situations in our lives and not realise that he's right there with us. And there might be times when you're thinking, where is he? God has left me. The trouble is you just aren't realising that he's right there and you're not recognising who he is in that moment. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. The danger is we can become over-familiar with Jesus. You know, we just again, this woman was just doing her daily life and there was a guy and, and maybe we get into the same scenario. You know, we just... We're just going through our daily life and there's just this guy, yeah, Jesus, nice to have a good day. Hope you have a good day, Jesus. You know. Not realising that this is the, the Lord of the universe. And maybe you come to church and we talk about, oh, we're in God's presence, we're giving him praise and we get a bit familiar. Not realising that Jesus is here. Now, I know he's everywhere, we'll get on to that. But he's here. And I always remember this song, it's like, God is here, his wonders to perform. There's this song, I'll come back to it again and again in my mind. Because if God is here, then what's going to happen? What do we expect? If God is here, if Jesus was standing right here, would you act any differently to how you've acted so far today? Would you worship any differently than you worshipped already? Would your prayers, your praise, your words be any different to how they were so far? Because the truth is, he is here. But if we go back to my point, we're very used to thinking in a, a, a physical way. That we think, yeah, if Jesus was here, I would be different. Things would be different. But he's saying, no, it's spiritual. We'll get on to that in a minute. We've become maybe over-familiar and we're just treating him, you know, we can say, yeah, Jesus is my friend, my BFF. 
but his Lord, his Saviour. We sang about the wonderful things he's done. And we realise we need to know who he is, that it's a call to intimacy with him. Do you know what he has for you this morning? What he carries? Because he was saying to this woman, I've got, do you know I've got living water? Do you know I've got living water? And you can have it if you want. Do you realise what he carries? Or is he just some guy asking for a drink? Is it just some God who's saying, come and worship me, and that's it? Not realising that as we do so, there's living water available to us. It's interesting that if we think about intimacy, that God's calling us this place of intimacy, and Jesus reveals this thing about this woman about having five husbands, and I don't fully understand this dynamic that suddenly shifts, that she's like, who's this guy? How does he know such, so much about me? But she seems to change the subject, and I don't know if she changes the subject because suddenly she's got some guy who can answer all these questions that she's always had, and we think that if we're faced with Jesus, we can ask him all the questions and get all the answers. But I wonder if something became a bit uncomfortable for her. Because if I started pointing out your little secrets, maybe you'd start getting a bit uncomfortable. And maybe you'd want to change the subject a little bit. And so she starts saying, talking about the, the temple and saying, where should we worship? In Jerusalem or in Samaria, where should we worship? Where's the real place of, the, of worship? And Jesus says this to her, this is my paraphrase, you've missed the point. You've missed the point. And so my question this morning, the next question is, have you missed the point? Have you missed the point? Because worship is about intimacy. And we can so often try and avoid intimacy by making it about other things. Because if I fill my life with other things, I don't have to address the things that are going on in here. I just keep myself busy, 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 busy. I, I point the finger at others. As they say, if you point the finger there, there's four pointing back at you. Because we want distraction. We want to look away from the things that are going on in our heart. And so are you making worship about other things? Are you missing the point? Because the point of worship is about him. And so when you come to church, the point of church, there are many other things, but the main point about church is him. And so have you missed the point that you say, didn't get much from that today? Didn't really enjoy the worship. Maybe you've said that before. I didn't really enjoy the worship. Well, you're the one giving the worship. I didn't really, you know, it would be nice if we could have sang some more hymns or some more choruses or some more contemporary music. It would have been nice if it was a bit louder. It would have been nice if it was a bit quieter. It would have been nice if we could have a different picture behind us. It would have been nice if the coffee was a bit better. You know, oh, you know I prefer Sainsbury's donuts rather than Tesco's donuts or Krispy Kremes if you really want to go there. 
You know, it would have been nice. You know, it could have been, could have been different. It uh, could have been better if, if Drew was leading. Or it could have been better if Timo was, uh, if, if Jana was leading. Or it would be nice if we'd had something else. I mean, we can make it all about different things. We didn't sing my favourite song today. Is it about us or is it about him? Because you know that you should be able to worship anywhere, at any time. Because if you require a band to get you to worship, you're missing the point. If you require a particular type of song to get you to worship, you're missing the point. Because if that's the case, then all you're doing is worshipping the system. And if you think about what happened in Jesus' time, there were many devout people who completely missed the point. They missed the point that the Son of God was right there in the midst, and all they wanted to do was to protect the system, protect the status quo, keep the thing that they liked, And churches are dying everywhere because we're more interested in what we like than in giving him worship. And I encourage you and challenge you that you might come and the songs are not what you want. Maybe it's a surprise to you that often the songs are not what I want either. That's why I just start one up. No, not really. But maybe you're saying, well, if I was in charge, it would be different. It probably would be. And that's fine. But the truth is, we're here to worship God. And your worship is about him and who he is. Not about who we are. Not about who's on stage. Not about what the the decoration is or the coffee is or whatever it might be. I want to challenge you that your purpose needs to be coming here to worship him knowing that when you do, that's when you meet with him. Because do you realise you can be in the darkest of situations? It says in the Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Do you know that you can worship him in the darkest of situations and know that he is with you? And maybe for you, the darkest of situations is when they sing a certain song that you really don't like. But you know what? He is with you. And you can worship him in that. You know, the other thing about worship is that we get so distracted and we put our situation above him. Oh, am I thirsty? (laughs) Give and it shall be given to you. Amen. You know what? There are many things that are going to try and stop you from coming to worship God. I don't know if you've got that testimony that, you know, every Sunday morning, just as you're getting ready, something happens. The kids play up. The car breaks down. You know, there's, there can be 101 things that might happen. And you realise that these things are there to distract you from worshipping. I know as a parent it's so hard, even when you come, I know our kids are out worshipping and that's brilliant. 
I know it's hard sometimes when I'm standing there with my kids and I want to worship God and they're like, Dad, Dad. I even had a day, Dad. I came out a question about pocket money. I'm trying to worship Jesus and he's talking about sweets after church. And, and it's like, come on. And you know what I said? That's not, that's not what we're here for. That's not the time for this. There is a time to give yourself and I want you to, as much as you can, without being neglectful of your other responsibilities in life, but as much as you can, push through to worship God. Trusting that if you do so, if you seek the kingdom of God, then all these things shall be added unto you. Do you think that if you don't trust God first, that if you do trust God first, that these things, he's not going to take care of them? There are so many dramas that will try and distract you realizing that the drama is going to be still there when you leave but hopefully if you come and worship God you will be transformed and able to deal with that drama in a completely different way or maybe you'll found that in the meantime God's dealt with it anyway don't be distracted and get sidetracked but set your focus on him and so the last question is well, it's not even a question. God is seeking you. Jesus goes on. It's going to read in verse 21. It says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He's saying, you missed the point. It's not about where. It's about how. He says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is seeking people, and he's not seeking people because he's lost them. In the same way that when he said to Adam in the garden, Adam, where are you? He knew where he was, but he was saying, this, this is what I want. I want you, Adam. And when he's saying, I'm seeking worshippers, he's saying, I'm seeking people because I want them. I want you. I want a certain type of person. Will you be that type of person this morning? He's saying we must worship in spirit. And what this means is we can't just go through the motions because as we've been talking about, there's a physical expression of worship. That we've come here today and you've sat in a chair and you've stood up at times. You might have raised your hands, sang out, lift your voice. You might have prayed. There is a physical expression of worship. And as John said, you can do all of that in your flesh. It can all be flesh. And if it's flesh, then it's not worship. Do you know there's an atheist church? In London, I don't know why you call it an atheist church. But because they realised there are really nice things that we do. Coming together is really nice. Singing songs together is really nice. Listening to an inspirational message is really nice. There's good things in that. But they do it and they, you could look at it and say, well, it looks a lot like church. But it's not. Because it's not worshipping God. It's singing a song. We can't go through the motions because worship to God is about connection with him. It's about relationship 
with him. And it's interesting because this morning when I started worshipping, I was thinking, I was pr- singing and I love, I, to be honest, I love singing, as you might have gathered. Um, I love singing and, but I was thinking, I want it to be more. I need it to be more. I need to think about the one who I'm singing to. I need to think about the words that I'm singing. I need to get, make sure my songs are coming from my heart, not from just my lips and my head. And it's a challenge because we get into the motions of it all. Oh, it's that song again. Oh, we sing it. I like that one. And we sing it. But are we connecting in our heart? The other thing with worshipping in spirit means it can be at any place. As I said the other night, on Friday night, I went to see Ren Collective. And one of the things they said, we apologise if you came for a concert, because this is not a concert. It's, it's a, we're here to worship God. And you know, we could worship God in Shepherd's Bush, O2, it used to be Empire, didn't it? In Shepherd's Bush, in some sweaty kind of place, you can come and worship God. I've worshipped God in some weird places. I worship God, I was in, when I lived in America, I used to go to this church on a Saturday night, and we used to walk through an art shop to go up these stairs, and we then had church in, a, in like a congregational area, off which were people's bedrooms. And so we would be having church, and people would be coming and going from their rooms who had nothing to do with what we were doing. It was It was strange but we worship God. You know, one of my, I've just built a a room in my shed for me to go and worship God because it said, you know, go into your closet. I didn't have anywhere in my house, so I built a place. You know, I can go and worship God in my shed. You can worship God walking down the road. You can worship God in your car. Just don't close your eyes. You can worship God anywhere because he said that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when you're thinking, where can I go? It doesn't have to be a place. It's where you are. There is something special, though, about when we come together and worship God together because God, we can't really explain it, but God's here in a different way. God is always there, but he's here in a different way when we come together and we are blessed by the richness of each other's praise and worship. And so don't get in the habit of saying, it's all right, I can do it on my own. There's an element of truth in that that you can. You can do it any way you want. But he says, do not forsake meeting together. We need to be together to bless one another, encourage one another. And so it says, worship is truth. What you know fuels your worship. The truth fuels, or at least it should do. If it's not fueling your worship, then I don't think you know it. When you realise what God has done for you, when you realise what's been made available to you, it should fuel your worship. Truth fuels your worship, not feelings. Because I don't know how you, you felt when you came in this morning. And maybe you're a bit tired, particularly for those if you did go to the Rain Collective concert last night. You're probably really tired. I don't think they're here because they're tired. Maybe you had a bad morning. Maybe you had a bad night. 
and you felt off and you felt bad. Maybe you've fallen into sin and you felt bad. Don't let your feelings determine your worship, but align yourself with God's truth and worship him because of that. It says in the Psalms that there's a command to your soul to worship God. And I don't know if ever you come here, and I'm sure you do, because you're probably a bit like me, when you think, oh, I can't be bothered today. And that's the moment when you need to grab yourself by the scruff of the neck and say, it's not about me, it's about him, it's about the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. And I need to worship him because my situation may have changed, but he has not changed. His worth has not changed. He is still worthy. And I need to worship him. It's not about what you feel, but you realise that when you worship God, your feelings come in line. So if you're struggling with feelings, then declare truth. I was just about to steal some of John's sermon from next week about how we can do that, but I'll leave that for John. Do you realise that lies will steal your worship as well? I was saying earlier about, you know, you can't do this. God's not interested. But we say, no, I'm going to believe truth. I'm going to believe that God is desiring this from me. I'm going to come and give it to him. I find it really interesting that where it says the, the thing that the Father is seeking is what? Spirit and truth. Do you see the picture there? The Father, the truth. Who is the truth? Jesus. Jesus is the truth. You've got the Father, he's seeking the truth, he's seeking Jesus, he's seeking the Spirit. You know, we can't worship God unless we recognise it that he has given us his spirit to worship him, that we do so because of what the Son has done and then brings us in. We realise that the work of God is to bring us into that place. The work of the Spirit is to lead us to Christ. The work of Christ is to lead us to the Father. And we have this invitation. And the, the risk is that we let all these obstacles get us get in the way. And saying sometimes you're going to have to grab yourself by the scruff of the neck. And if that means coming forward, if that means getting on your knees, do it. Declare truth. So the question is, will you overcome the obstacles? Because Jesus is here today and he's asking something of you. Jesus is here and saying, will you give me a drink? Now change the word there to worship. Will you give me worship? Will you give me worship? I encourage you to remember first, come to give. Make that your priority. Make that your aim, your motive. That when you come to worship God, you come to give to him. Knowing that if you do, all those needs, all those desires, all those wants, he'll take care of them. He'll give you living water that will quench your thirst but nothing else can. So I'm going to stand and I'm going to pray if the worship team want to come up. And I want us to give us that opportunity just to respond 
in worship to him. And I'm encouraged as well because I believe God is stirring us in our worship and there are times today where I'm thinking, yes, this is what God is asking. And it's, it's not about how loud we can sing, but sometimes it's about how loud you can sing. It's about giving him everything and you hold him back because I think God is saying, don't hold back from me today, but come and give me everything you've got. And it might only be small, it might be a squeak, it might be, sound really terrible to the person standing next to you, but God loves it. And so I encourage you to give that now. Shall we stand?